Welcome back to another episode of Acting Out. It's Elizabeth. And your boy Tyler. Hi guys and girls, how are you all doing today? Well, I am doing pretty good. How are you? I'm great, you know, tired, but we're making it through with some Mountain Dew. I am drinking hot tea today. Surprisingly, no Dr. Pepper, but it is not over yet, so we'll see what happens. Um, More importantly, though, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about ethics. This is literally one of my favorite topics. Um, Like, at work, they call me, like, the ethics king because I always cite ethics when I, you know something is not going appropriately but you know that's nor here nor there but welcome to our (laughs) ethics episode our ethics episode if you're gonna have an aba podcast in order to like really be able to say that you have one you have to do an ethics podcast you have to do an ethics episode because if you don't then it's like okay but do they know what the ethical code is like are they listening i don't think anybody really cares but we're gonna do it anyway so um One thing I did want to say is that today we are going to be hearing from Zach. Zach is our executive producer, and he's also another BCBA. Um, He has more experience as a BCBA. He's been a BCBA longer. So we really wanted him to be more involved in this episode and share his perspective on some of these more dense and complex ethical topics. So, Zach, how are you? I'm doing great, and I also love ethics. In fact... I just got the idea to call this the ethics sode. The ethics sode? I actually like that. <laughs> yeah, but if you say it fast, ethics sode. It sounds ethics like episode, but it's ethical. Yeah, I like oh it. My God. Okay. And then make sure make sure you add the like da dun dun but the drum thing like that. We're here to talk about ethics. Or rather, I'm here to talk to you guys while you talk about ethics. Yeah, exactly. Um Well, one of the reasons, you know, of course you have to have an ethics episode if you're going to have an ABA podcast, but we also wanted to talk about this because as many of us know, the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, the BACB, has made some changes and updates to their ethical guidelines for BCBAs. And recently, um, in July of 2021, they put out a new ethics code for RBTs. Um, you know, we were kind of expecting, we've had some time to mull over as the field, the B- the new ethics code for BCBAs, but we have this brand new ethics code for RBTs. So we thought we'd talk about that a little bit today and then kind of just talk about some ethical situations that we've had pop up in our careers. Um, so Tyler, you are an RBT. Have you had, I know you're studying for the exam, so it's okay if the answer is no. Have you had an opportunity to look over the new ethics code for RBTs, or are you just living in the land of studying for the test? If I didn't look over the RBT ethics code, would I not be studying? I mean, it's obviously on the exam, I'm pretty sure. Okay, okay, fair. (laughs) I've glanced over it, um, hopefully, but like, you know... um, Fingers crossed I won't be following the RBT ethics code too much longer. Um, It will be in the back of my head. You'll just be making sure it's being followed. Yeah, I'll just switch over to the BCBA ethics code. Um, But I have looked over it and, uh, you know, there are some changes that, you know, this should have been implemented a long time ago. But Yeah. Um, All right, Zach, so tell us what you think. You are the person who has the most experience as a BCBA on this podcast. And you're also the person who has, in addition to that, the most experience supervising RBT. So what are your thoughts on the new RBT ethics code? One of our BCBAs uh, participated in um, 
developing the textbook uh, about the RBT ethics code by Bailey and Birch. So that's kind of cool. Uh, but also, um, I think that it's um, the RBT credential is still relatively new. It's been, you know, several years, but, you know, it's a newer credential compared to the others. And um, I like that every year it seems like they're improving either. Um, they're either making it uh, more challenging to become certified or just ensuring that um, clinicians are well-trained or even better trained. Uh, but, you know, they're also uh, changing the guidelines and adding the RBT ethics code just gives, you know, much more credence to the credential itself. And I know we've alluded to in previous episodes that we want to talk about the importance of and the value of behavior technicians in our practices. Uh, and I think that having an ethics code that is specific to the implementers of ABA programs or RBTs, um, I think having an ethics code specifically geared toward their practice is extremely important. Um, now, looking at the RBT code and the BCBA code side by side, um, actually, let me rephrase that. Uh, the RBT ethics code and the ethics, what is it? The new name of it is uh, ethical code for behavior analysts. Hold on. Let me, let me look it up while I'm talking about it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, didn't even I guess I missed that there was a name change. I just well, it used to be called. Code. It used to be called the. Um, prof it used to be called the. I think it was called the ethic. Uh, now I'm getting. Now I'm. Now I'm not going to remember. Previously, like as of right now, that went into effect January first, twenty sixteen, was the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. Now it is called okay. the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. So <clears throat> we have the RBT Ethics Code uh, 2.0 and the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts coming out both January 1st, 2022. Uh, so all of our graduate students and trainees and, and Tyler, who is about to sit for the exam, are now looking at the new RBT Ethics Code and or the new Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts and learning from that. Um, okay. But again... You know, looking at them side by side, there's obviously a lot of similarities. Why? Because most of practicing behavior analysis when it comes to the implementation of programs, most of that is in alignment. Now, that said, um, the RBT Ethics Code does not have the same allusions to developing or designing programs. It definitely talks more about RBT rights and, and um, you know, working out situations with supervisors and, and, and identifying situations that may have um, ethical implications, but I think the main point here is that the board is taking um, every opportunity to improve um, on the credential uh, itself. So I think it's fabulous. Um, I don't necessarily think that we should go through it. Yeah, um, for sure. It, that's a lot, and if people are interested, the BACB opens... The BACB, I mean, I have them all pulled up on my desktop right now, and there are so many um, very valuable resources for anyone who is studying like Tyler or anyone who, you know, needs to do a deep dive. There's a newsletter. They actually, the BACB has their own podcast um, that is very beneficial. You should listen to it. It's a good one. Um, and then there's, like, the ethics code, and then there's also, I think there's, it's called the crosswalk um, for behavior technicians, and it it shows you all of the differences. Um, so I think, you know, I agree with you. I don't think we need to go through all, all of them at the same time. 
it just seems unnecessary. But what I did want to say and something that I did notice, um, a couple of things that they added that I do think could contribute to this conversation and just things that are so different that I think really talk about the progress that we've made in the field of ABA um, would be I like that RBTs are never the employers of their supervisor. Um, not everyone, even though those that's something that's already been discussed, that's something that I think most of us were already going through. I like that that's written explicitly because that kind of, I think it helps, honestly, I think it helps RBTs, but I also think it ha- it also helps BCBAs who are, Um, perhaps working in a company that isn't owned by a BCBA and the BCBA wants to go through the process of becoming an RBT and it's like okay well I don't think that's right but also this is my job and I can't I, I it's hard to tell your boss no so having the opportunity to refer out and be like oh I'm so sorry like unfortunately that's against the ethical code so if you want to be an RBT that's awesome and I'll support you in that but we're going to need to find you a supervisor that isn't me like, it gives them the opportunity to kind of get a gateway. Um, and then there was that one, and then there was something else that I really, really liked. I like that they're now alluding to um, clinical supervisees more as a kind of separate entity. Like, I th- in other words, I think they're identifying that there are RBTs and there are clinical supervisees and there might be overlap because most clinical supervisees end up being RBTs because the only way for you to um, practice, um, uh, the only way for you to practice and, and, and gain experience is unfortunately you have to become an RBT. Um, in most cases, I, sh- I say that because, you know, most services are funded by insurance that require it, right? Yeah. And honestly, I this is just my personal opinion. Um, I do think everybody needs to be, in my opinion, you need to be an RBT before you're a BCBA. That is my opinion. Sometimes it's a controversial one, but that's why I said it's my opinion. It's not a fact. So why do there you, we go. Why do you think that? Um, beca- Great question. I think I... I think that because I have met behavior analysts who were who were never RBTs, who supervised RBTs, and then did not know. It is very difficult to tell someone how to do a job if you've never done it. It's very difficult to have realistic expectations um, and to know the demands because, you know, we did discuss that we're going to have in I, it may be our next episode, but in one of our upcoming episodes, we're going to discuss um, RBTs and clinical supervisees and all of those things and their treatment and how I believe and you believe and we all believe we could do better do better with them. But in regards to your question, how can you tell me how to do my job? Why should I respect you if I was an RBT and you never were? Like, congratulations, you're a BCBA. Okay, um, have you ever had to toilet train someone and have to keep them on the toilet and also keep them from putting their feces on the wall? No? Okay, then how are you going to tell me how to do that? Okay, but to be fair, you can't become a BCBA without 1,500 hours of experience, and at least half of them should be direct implementation of programs they should be but direct implementation can in my opinion and i'm learning i'm still learning so nobody bite my head off but in my opinion 
I think at least some of that time needs to be as an RBT. And I'm not disagreeing I, with you. Right. No, I know. I'm just saying, because other people are going to be listening. I mean, in theory, hopefully we're not just talking to ourselves. But even if we are, the point of all of it is to say, like, how I just don't agree with the concept of, like, us going and telling someone else how to do a job that we've never done. And really, truly, that's what it is like for me most of the time. And again, I also think it is, I don't think you can work at a, in, in home as a BCBA supervising an RBT if you've only ever done OBM in a school system. Yes. Okay. Yes, you have the same certification, but that doesn't mean that you have met the same criteria for each job description. I don't, I've never worked in a school system in um, ABA beyond doing consultation. So I don't think I have the right to go into a, I don't think I have the right to go apply for a job as OBM in a school system when I've never even gotten supervision to do that. That's why we have, and I understand you do have, you can get supervisors to help you even as a BCBA. Am I making my point or am I digging a hole? Because at this point, no, I don't really know. You're totally making a point. I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like, but from my point of view, I've had supervisors from an RBT point of view, right? I've had clinical supervisors that were RBTs prior to their BCBA, and they still treated me like shit. Currently, my supervisor, yeah, my supervisors, I have two of them. Neither one of them were an RBT. They, I don't even think they were behavioral technicians, and they really, are, yes. Because the oh, RB- there you go. I'm learning something. The RBT credential, it's fairly new, like Zach said earlier. So back when they were getting credentialed, what, 10 years ago, there was not even okay. a, a thing. <laughs> the implication was there, Tyler. I agree. And, per- and I think my statement was not clear enough. What I think is difficult is that if you have never been under... I see what you're implying, and I, I think Tyler and I are both agreeing with you, but you can't become a behavior analyst without at least having some experience working under a behavior analyst because you literally have to have a BCBA supervisor. So, like, unless the role that you had was something like OBM and it wasn't working with kids with autism or intellectual or developmental disabilities, like, you know, you you wouldn't have the experience and therefore you shouldn't be supervising people who do that. And, and more importantly, okay. competency is in the ethics code for behavior analysts anyway. Very true. That is very true. So if you don't have the competency for a particular role and you take on that role, you should be training and, and learning and getting the competency that you need to be able to do that. And I think your... Your objection was more, I think, a respect thing. So it's it's less that they um, didn't necessarily have the experience in that, but more so that they're not coming in and telling you what to do when they've not done that themselves in, in, in terms of respect, right? Yeah. And, you know, what you're saying, though, I think brings up something that we don't always discuss in ethics is that maybe what I'm bringing up. maybe what I'm bringing up you're right maybe it isn't an ethical concern maybe it's about the respect and it's about um my personal values because ethics and values can be are different and maybe this is more about it brings up the other point of like I don't like that but you know what if maybe it's not about whether maybe in sometimes I think as behavior analysts or as RBTs or people who are in ABA and anything 
we refer to the code when we don't like something instead of referring to the code because something is actually unethical. And I think that kind of segues into, you know, I do think you should be an RBT, but that's, I, I think reevaluating it, thinking my way through it, talking our way through it, maybe that is more about like my values. Maybe that is more about like respect than it is about the ethics code itself. But it also brings up the good point of sometimes this is something I've noticed in the field in general. It's like, particularly in those Facebook groups, because some of them are really cool. And some of them, it's like, I don't want to get on here because y'all are going to bite me. And I don't feel like getting bit today. But the point of that is to say, what I am trying to say, because I could say in 60 different ways is just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's unethical. And maybe that's something that we could talk about. Like maybe that's a part of the problem because we have things we don't like and then we refer to the ethical code and we think it needs to be a certain way and well you just don't like it so something that came up in our um group supervision yesterday in discussing ethics and the ethics code is that um there are caveats and environmental variables that play um in every situation so just because the code says one thing doesn't necessarily mean that it is applied in stone to every situation. So yeah. you, f you follow the code the best that you can and you address things. So f like, for example, if there's, um, if there are variables that, um, impact or are barriers to treatment, you do the best you can to address those. It doesn't say discontinue services at that point. It says work on, uh, it says, you know, do everything that you can to address them and then document your efforts to do that because the board knew that some behavior analysts wouldn't necessarily have the ability to discontinue services with a client just because something was happening that wasn't working or there was a barrier or something like that, you know. So, they're guidelines for behavior analysts to follow, and we are bound to follow them, um, you know, and, you know, every case that we open, we have a declaration of professional services that says, you know, in addition to providing services to you, we are also bound to follow the ethics code. Now, in my opinion, some of the codes specifically open up gray areas, and so it's good to have discussions about codes um, when you're learning about them in school or when you're a supervisee. Um, all of our BCBA supervisors sit down during supervision meetings with their supervisees and say, okay, like, let's say this was happening, how should we address that? And also, if something is actually happening, we sit down and we talk about how to address that. And we pull the code and we say, this is the code that specifically corresponds to this particular set situation. So it's not... It's not always black and white. In fact, it's mostly gray. Um, and what you need to do is try to do the best you can to ensure, one, the safety of your client uh, and the efficacy of your services, and two, sometimes the safety of yourself or your staff or your supervisees and the efficacy of the services being provided. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how I got on that tangent. <laughs> no, but I don't think it's a tangent. I mean, I think it makes some good points this is you know when we decided we were going to do this ethics sode as you called it I was a little bit 
ethics is an intimidating topic and one of the things that we've talked about since the beginning of this podcast is that we're going to be honest mm-hmm. and we're going to be transparent and to be transparent it's almost terrifying to talk about ethics because you want to get it right because while it is black and white it's also gray And you have to use your best judgment and you have to hope that your best judgment is correct. So, you know, a minute ago we were talking about, well, we talk a lot about values. And so your ethics and your values are separate, but they're also your values impact how you can have bias in how you interpret the ethics. And so that I think addresses the gray, Um, the gray and all of those things. And so I think what we could do now, because we've kind of, established that these things are gray it's never a black and white answer I mean unless like some things are black and white but most of these things are and you have to use your best interpretation so I think we all picked out Elizabeth being me haha I said my own name in third person Zach and Tyler have all picked out different scenarios that we wanted to look at to see okay well is this um is this just because I don't like it or is this because I'm just uncomfortable or is this because it's truly something that needs to be addressed or is addressed in the ethical code? So who amongst us would like to go first? I'll go first. So you log on to social media and you find out that one of your clients and his family had started to follow you on maybe like Instagram or TikTok and the next day you go to session and there's like, hey, I've seen all your videos on TikTok. I've seen your pictures on Instagram, um, but you never followed me back. Why is that? Therefore, you explain to them that you are a ethical practitioner and you have an ethics code that you're not allowed to follow on social media or uh, because that would create a dual relationship. And therefore, you had to be blocked. After they find out the reasoning, they become uncooperative with treatment and very distant. So how do you handle that situation? Would you terminate services or what? Because I just feel like that's an ethical situation that may happen to quite a few people. Well, sometimes you get on TikTok and you're scrolling on your For You page and then your client's mom shows up on your For You page and you're like, ugh. So you have to block them before they find you. Just saying, maybe that happened to me. Maybe it didn't. You'll never know. Just saying, it happens. Tyler, I think um, I think you bring up a really good subject because obviously all of us are involved in social media in some way or another. Even if we don't have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, we might have Reddit or maybe we are on Tumblr or maybe we are on blogs. I mean, all of those are forms of social media, whether they're the quote unquote big tech giants or not. Yeah. Um, So, first of all, um, in our uh, professional services agreement, we specifically say, you know, we're not here to be your friend. And I mean, in so many words, obviously, it doesn't say it that way. But in the explanation of why we're not here to be your friend, following someone on social media, even though it doesn't necessarily imply, quote unquote, we are friends, because obviously, we follow people we're not necessarily friends with. But I think the point is that There's an implication of, you know, sharing your personal things on the internet uh, or publicly that if you um, have, you know, engaged in some sort of friendship with them on the internet outside of your role as a behavior analyst, I think that that is in the dual relationship category. So 
obviously as part of the code, developing a dual relationship can lead to a lot of adverse consequences. Um, and so just to avoid that entirely, it's best to just not deal with that. Um, you know, I think it's one thing to be friends with someone you previously served um, and you will not be serving them again. You know, like I have some friends from, uh, or rather I'm friends with parents of clients or even some clients that I worked with in another state and there's no way that I'll ever serve them again. And, you know, some people might not necessarily like that, but I feel like, you know, if we're not in a professional relationship in any way, um, you know, social media is meant for engagement, you know, and, and so I don't see a problem with that. But current clients, you wouldn't want them following you. And maybe you shared a meme that might have a questionable implication and they take that the wrong way. And now you have a problem at work, you know, or you said, I have, I had a hard day at work today on your Facebook status and it, and you saw their kid. And so then they're like, oh, well, you can't handle my kid because you had a hard day at work. And I know that you only saw my kid because you were like, because I asked you, oh, do you have to see anybody after this? And you're like, no, I'm just going home. And then it's like, and it could have been you had a hard day at work because you had a headache and you weren't feeling it. Not because their child or whoever did anything to you. But then it's like, well, you can't handle my kid because you complained on the internet. Some people do take it personally when you say you're not interested in being their friend on Facebook or Instagram and I think when that happens, um, you know, going back to the professional services agreement, going back to the ethics code, specifically referring to dual relationships and just saying, look, I am only your behavior analyst or I am only your behavior technician. That is my role. Uh, when, as long as we are in that professional relationship, we cannot have a personal friendship or a personal relationship outside of that. And therefore, um, that should solve the problem. Now, if they become um, reliant to follow through with treatment plans, uh, let's say you've trained them on an extinction procedure and you told them you couldn't be their Instagram friend or their Facebook friend, and now they're refusing to follow the uh, extinction procedure, that's obviously a problem. And you have to say to them, look, I understand that you may have been um, offended that I didn't accept your friend request or that I won't follow you or whatever. But in order for this service to be effective for your child, I need you to follow this program. And at that point, if they're not willing to overcome that, then as providers, we either need to help find them a provider that um, they will follow the plan or one that they're not holding a grudge over. Um, or we just tell them, you know, Part of part of providing services or part of their receiving of services includes their participation, and if their if their lack of participation or refusal to participate in the program um, negatively impacts the efficacy of the program, that's where we say, look, you're either going to do this and it's going to it's going to help make progress, and if you're not and we're not making progress, we need to discuss discontinuing services because not following through on the program impedes on the progress we're trying to make. You know, and you can always just say, we're trying to run uphill uh, through a stream and it's slippery and we'd like to get there, but you're pouring water down. I don't, don't use that analogy. That's not a good analogy, but you get the idea. But I also think like we all work, um, you know, Jesse lives in New York City, um, but she doesn't, she, so she has a different job, but, and she's also living in a different culture. You know, we're all in Tennessee 
And we are also living in, you know, Southern hospitality is a very real thing. And the, and, you know, putting on niceties is very important to us. It's very important to our culture. It's very necessary um, here in just the way that our social currency works. And so it's like, oh, I, I mean, you add everyone because you don't want to be rude. We don't want to be rude. We're very big on that in, in our culture. And I think it, we really struggle and we can really struggle with, with overcoming that social barrier when our culture is so much built on real or perceived niceness. And it's not nice to not accept someone's Facebook or friend request. That is not a nice thing to do. But I also think, so I think we kind of have to address it from a cultural perspective and sometimes just be like, you know, it isn't because I don't want to be your friend. It's because I can't be. If I could, that'd be something else, but I'm not allowed to be your friend. This I, I can't. So I'm very sorry. Like I would love to, but I just can't. And sometimes it's less about being, um, it's less sometimes about being formal and it's more about just being like, look. I'm not allowed to. I want to. I would love to see what you guys are doing on the weekend. I would love to see pictures of these babies pop up on my Facebook feed because they are adorable and I want to squeeze them all. But I can't. The board won't let me and I'm so sorry that I can't do this for you. It's so frustrating for me too because I would love to see your kids. And just kind of using the power of niceness in a different direction. What you think, Tyler? That makes sense. Um... I mean, luckily, this has not happened to me where they have, like... Ex- oh, okay, good. <laughs> like, they haven't explicitly followed me, but I did go to session the other day, and this lady was, like... I was scrolling to TikTok, and me and Jonah, that's not his real name, um, found your TikTok, and we watched I mean, your TikTok, and he was just so happy to see you on TikTok, and I was like, oh, great, and then as soon as session was over, I went to my car, and I blocked my TikTok, like... Um, yeah, no, thank you. Um, TikTok is one of those things that's harder though. Like there are social medias where you request and then there are social medias where it's just literally people in your area or people who are in your contacts because you have to agree to all these little things. And like, I mean, I had, like I said earlier, I had a parent show up in my for you page and I was like, Oh, got to block that. And it's not because they did anything wrong. They weren't stalking me. It's because... You know, that's just, I was in that area. Like, that's just, that's just how it works. So, the algorithm is crazy. Yeah. Um, but all the BCBAs, RBTs out there, just make sure your, like, Facebook and your Instagram are blocked until, like, or a follow request. That's what mine is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of so. like doing preventative strategies. Like, I would like, I don't necessarily care if anybody can see my Facebook page or my Instagram because I'm really not that interesting. It's mostly just my dog Hazel and my nieces. But because I'm a BCBA, I've since I've worked in this field, I've kept all those things private because it was talking about dual relationships and I didn't want to risk it. My main goal is I, I just feel like I we all worked really hard to be where we are. That'd be a kind of dumb thing to have an ethical violation over. Anyway all right, so Tyler, did we answer your question in a meaningful way? You did. <laughs> or like, <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Zach, do you want to go next or do you want me to go next? I don't care. Okay, um, I'll go next. Uh, this is something that, you know, I think about. Um, first of all, um, 
being the clinical director and owner of a company, I, um, I have to think about and, um, care about all of the clients. So all of the situations that come up with, with individual clients and we serve over 200, you know, I'm involved in some way in every single one. So from, from my perspective, um, I wanted to bring up something that is kind of challenging. Um, and I also think, uh, something that all behavior analysts and RBTs have to deal with at one point or another, and that is discontinuation of services. And so something that's, you know, come up is when it's okay to discharge, even though the family is disagreeing with discharge. And the problem is that, um, you know, it is our job to make sure that we provide ethical and quality services. Um, but unfortunately, at some at some point in the treatment cycle, either the person has, you know, reached their maximum benefit of services or there are barriers that prevent you from um, making progress and you have to have the discussion about discontinuation. And so, you know, we've been dealing with a case where we are recommending discharge because there's n- there's there's no further benefit from what we can do. The All of the behaviors have decreased and all of the skills that we needed to teach have generalized. The person is um, doing much better across environments. Um, and the parents are insisting that we continue to provide services because they, they think that if we stop providing services, um, that person is going to fall apart right away. Um, and that, um, you know, we've been built into their schedule for a very long time. Um, and, and, and that is partially true, except that we used to provide a lot more hours and over the last year and a half, and not coincidentally because of the pandemic, because the kid has made progress, we have faded down to a much lower level of care, um, you know, from three or four or five sessions per week to now two, and they're short, like an hour and a half. So it's much less. So I think the perceived negative impact is higher than what the actual impact is going to be. And so... Um, you know, in discussion, we are showing graphs. We're saying, look, in the last few years, look at the actual progress that's been made. Look at the skills we've taught. Um, this person is now doing all of these things independently and without any prompting, or the problem behaviors have decreased to, um, not only just manageable, but just have maintained at very low rates. The person is now safe. Um, so, Outside of that, all of the other things that that person needs in their life um, are either coming from other therapies, they have speech or physical therapy or occupational therapy, and those things are working and, and are doing good for the for that person. So at that point, you know, we've, we keep saying, we think it's time to discontinue services and we're getting pushback at every corner. And unfortunately, yeah. at a certain point, we just have to say, we have met all the goals, the insurance company allows us to provide you services based on medical necessity and the medical necessity is no longer present. Um, we have to discontinuation discontinue services. And so um, basically, like I said, we showed graphs, we gave all the justification we needed and we essentially just said, unfortunately, because of all of the things we just said, we have to discontinue services and we're discontinuing on this date in a few weeks from today. Yeah. And in the meantime, it's, uh, you know, 
it is our job to ensure that, you know, when we're discharging a client that um, if they're stepping down to a lower level of care, that we make sure that they have things in place that it will be needed. And in this case, all of those things are already present. But if they weren't, we would recommend, oh, do you need, um, maybe, maybe they need medication, uh, rather medication management, or maybe they need um, uh, an advocate or a uh, case manager from the insurance company to get them hooked up with other services. Maybe they needed speech or OT, and all. And and in this case, all of those things are present. So there's not much else for us to do to find other service providers for them. Uh, but what we have done and will continue to do over the next few weeks before we discontinue is ensure that parents are trained adequately to implement either. Uh, maintenance programs that are needed or to implement um, emergency procedures if there's a crisis. All the things that were in our current support plan will be continued and um, uh, carried out once we've discontinued services. Um, with the caveat that if that person needs services again because, you know, maybe environmental variables have changed to such an extent that um, they they now would need to be treated again, there's nothing that prevents them from asking us for services again, and there's nothing that would prevent us from providing services again. However, at this time, you know, maintenance is there, um, and medical necessity is not there. It's hard because sometimes I think we forget how that our very presence is almost like a prompt. Like, just the fact that we are in their houses or that they're receiving services from us in some ways it's not a prompt but in some ways it is it's for families or caregivers it's almost like a safety blanket because it's like I don't know how to handle this but Zach's coming over today so I'm going to talk to him about it and see how he thinks I should handle it and sometimes I think they're more afraid to lose us as a support person because in a lot of ways whether not in a dual relationship kind of way but just because we are it is literally our job to figure out how to solve problems and how to find solutions to difficult situations. I think they become, we, we, people can become dependent on, on us as their support system and not necessarily have a support system outside of us. And we can't always help that. But like, sometimes when it's just, when it's done, it's done. Like I can't, I don't want your kid or your grown adult or you to be in therapy for the rest of your life. Like that's not, like that's not that's not good for you you don't need to be in therapy or an ABA forever because if you are then I'm doing something wrong like at some point we should be able to fade and I mean I kind of feel guilty whenever I have to discharge like recently I had to discharge someone because in a six-week period we had one session and we had one session because the family because of the complex medical needs of that child, because mom and dad both had to work on top of having complex medical needs, they just could not make it to ABA. And I did, like, I know that I did everything I possibly could to, I don't even want to say accommodate, but to make it happen. Like, I literally was like, okay, I'm going to schedule you in for Tuesdays and Thursdays from this time to this time. If you're not available during this time and this time, then I'm going, because due to COVID, we have so many cancellations, so many rescheduling. Your schedule is so, my schedule is very flexible because it has to be at this point. If I have any other cancellations, I will check with you and see if I can make it work. Well, even in the cancellations, they're not available. And it's like, yeah, this kid, it's kind of the opposite situation. This child does need ABA. I would love to give them ABA. They're 
in the little bit of amount of time that we were able to be consistent, it did so much for them. But I, at the same time, cannot give good quality ABA services because you're in the hospital every, like, you're in the hospital a lot. And it's like, well, let's worry about getting the medical, that, getting the life or death stuff taken care of. And then I'll worry about your behaviors. But right now, if you're having this, if you're having a seizure, seizure so much, you're going to the hospital. I don't know that that is behaviorally something that I could even help you with because that is, yes, it's all your brain, but that's a whole other issue. So, I mean, it's, it's hard because you feel a level of guilt because we went into this. Yeah. I mean, you want to make money at your job, but you also go into this because you care about people and not being able to do that is not being able to make them happy and give them what they want is disappointing for all of us, I think. Well said. Um, Elizabeth, do you want to give an example or a scenario uh, for us to talk about? Honestly, I feel really satisfied with where we are so far because we know that ethical conversations are going to come up in every episode. We know they're going to come up every day in our everyday lives. And to be honest, I'm good. I'm really pleased with the scenarios that you guys have brought up. And I feel like we've had a really good and clear ethics episode, I think is epic, epic episode. Ethics episode. Mm -hmm. Ethics episode. Yes, we've had a good ethics episode. So I feel content. And I actually feel like I have a better understanding of the RBT ethics code just from the reference, the new one, because of all the research we did just for the pod for this episode. Um, but what I do want to know is, Zach, it is really important to me that I know what you are doing for your mental health right now. And if you say playing the piano, I will theoretically throw a shoe at you because you're doing more than that. So what else you got? How are you surviving in the second wave of this never ending pandemic nightmare? This is like the third wave. Um, <laughs> I am exercising a lot more. Um, we got a Peloton, so I've been riding a lot. It's wonderful. It's just great stress relief. And originally when I got it, I said, oh, this is great because my best time is in the morning, so I'll ride in the morning. And then I was like, no, that's my most productive time, so I'll ride it in the <laughs> afternoon after lunch when I have my slump in the, and I'm tired and I don't want to do any work. And then I'm like, well, I get done with lunch and I come right back to my desk and now I ride right after I get done with work, which is obviously my best time, so... Yeah. Yes. Okay. Makes sense. Um, we are going to ask Jesse, and Jesse is not going to say switch or book. You're doing something different. So what are you doing? You've been out. You're, you've been out for school. Like you've been out. <gasps> tell them what you did last night. No, don't tell them what you did last night. How's your life? I am playing my switch. <laughs> <laughs> okay whatever she develops she developed a new a new love for video games oh okay. i am a gamer girl late developed and you know what it is what it is i respect that i'm having a good time good tyler well i don't think my life is going to change anytime soon within the next two months so i'm always going to be studying um, okay, but what are you doing to take care of yourself? Um, music. I'm very into music. Um, walking the dog. 
and like Zach. Okay, I, okay. I don't have Zach's money to go out and buy a Peloton, but we did get an exercise bike, <laughs> so I've been on that too. Ooh. So. I feel like a Peloton is just something extra to pay for. That's how I feel. <laughs> what about you, Elizabeth? Um, I'm, don't make fun of me. You know, it's okay to not have done anything new. Since no, the I last actually have. Episode. I actually have. I started going back to therapy, which has been really helpful because the Delta variant was like, I, it was like, okay, so when the pandemic started, I was like, we getting medicated. And now I'm like, we're going to therapy because medicated the anxiety is too much. So I'm like, let's just go figure out some coping skills. And okay, no, it is not ABA therapy. First of all, I don't know any BCBA within like a 200 mile radius who could do ABA with me. Right? I don't I need do. that. You, you don't do yeah, ABA I, therapy with me. No, not me. I know someone who can. Well, perhaps after this you could share their number. But I was going to say, it's going really well. It's going well. I'm getting some good coping skills. I did all the self-management crap I could think of. And then I was like, we need extra help. So I started doing that. And more importantly, and way more excitedly, I have been doing um, a deep dive on the Sussexes, which is Harry and Meghan from the royal family in England. And that has been really, really great at wasting my time, but also teaching me um, primarily that I should have stayed in England when, you know, whatever. I've never been, but that's where my people are from and I should be there. I want to change my answer. I do too. Okay. (laughs) I have... I have fallen in love with Love Island. Ew. And I watch it every single night before bed. You guys can't see Zach's eyes getting bigger and him just shaking his head at us. (laughs) That's my that's my new answer. I'm not judging anyone for going to therapy. I'm judging them for watching crap television. That's my therapy. Why are you judging me? Yeah, I feel like we're so it's self care, Zach. It's, it's not so, your self care is like I'm gonna go run a marathon and be on a Peloton, and my self care is I'm gonna go to therapy, and then when I get done with that, I'm going to go listen to podcasts about people that don't care about me from another continent. Like that's what I want to do. I'm gonna watch trash TV from another country. I'm gonna cut this out of the podcast. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> but he's going to. Don't worry. Well, the segment is, you know. It, you don't like ki- this segment. No, I do like not like this. this segment. You don't have to like it. It's my favorite. Zach, do you want us to just cut it out of all of it? No. <laughs> I don't trust you, but okay. Tyler, change your answer. So to help with like mental health and the pandemic, I have started listening to more music, um, walking the dog more often, and digging into my family history, which I found out that uh, I am from Germany. So. Oh, fancy. Very cool. Cool. I've always wanted to do that. It's very time consuming. Cool. I like it. Which, I mean, down the road, I'm pretty sure I'll figure out that, you know, obviously my dad's side is from Africa, like I'm brought over on a slave ship. But that family's not cooperating with my request, so we're just stuck on my mom's side. But it's okay for now. Thank you guys so much for listening and letting us talk with you today. A special thank you to Zach for assisting and sharing his wisdom and experiences. And we hope that you will come back and act out with us next time. Thank you.
Thanks, guys. See you on the next episode. Bye.